Hello and welcome to the Double Double. My name is Kelly Hogan and joining me as always from Brooklyn, David Dixon. David, what's going on? What's going on, Kelly? I, I would like to say it was, a, it was a peaceful night of sleep, but I guess I'll never be able to go to bed early ever again during free agency. No. So while we were sleeping, Kawhi Leonard did the most Kawhi Leonard thing possible and signed with the Clippers for four years, $142 million, and essentially teamed up with Paul George. The Clippers dealt for Paul George from the Thunder. In exchange, they had to send out four unprotected first-round picks, a protected first, two pick swaps, Danilo Gallinari and Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who was a very exciting young point guard. This trade was a lot for LA, but I think you kind of have to think of it as you're trading for both Paul George and Kawhi. David, what was kind of your your first reaction when you woke up and, and saw the news? Uh, my first reaction was that I thought I was dreaming, that I was still awake, or that I was still sleeping and, and, and not fully awake yet. And then I see all the texts from you and Harry and Jordan Sears. It's like, oh no, this is real. And then I went to you know the the source Woj, and I saw that it was indeed real and. I was flabbergasted. I was stunned. Uh, I almost fell out of my bed this this morning because I couldn't believe it. That not only had they pulled off signing Kawhi Leonard, but that Kawhi basically went to them and said, get Paul George and I'm coming. And they did it. And it didn't leak out. No one had any idea this was coming. This was a true woge bomb in every sense of the word. It took me a little while to process it. I woke up in the middle of the night, saw the Woj bomb, but Jerry West to me is like Mariano Rivera. This dude just closes deals. You look at what he did up in Golden State getting KD. Now he gets Kawhi and Paul George, got Shaq to LA. This dude is just surgical. And then in terms of Kawhi, he's playing for the love of the game and trying to win. He's trying to stack titles because he sacrificed a lot of money in San Antonio. He could have signed for five years, $221 million. Then in Toronto, if he would have re-signed, he could have signed for five years, $190 million. And he chooses to go play in L.A., which he views as the best situation to win for four years, $142 million. So he's not chasing the money. He's chasing what he thinks gives him the best chance to, to stack titles on titles. How do you like the fit? Because I, I think Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are, are very nice complementary pieces. But how do you kind of see them meshing in Doc Rivers' system? I think they'll they'll mesh really well. This is the positionless basketball type idea that we that everyone talks about is that they both are wings who can guard basically anyone on the court, and they both can create their own shot. They're both really good three point shooters. They both can drive the basket. I mean, people are forgetting before Paul George basically tore his labrums and his shoulders, both of them, that he was a top three or top four MVP candidate. So you're basically stacking two MVPs on one team. And this is gonna this is up there with maybe one of the best NBA pairings we've seen in the player empowerment era. I think they're gonna work really, really well together. Yeah, I really like the fit too. Good luck scoring against the Clippers. I, I still like the the Philly defense a lot, one through five, but in terms of Patrick Beverly, Paul George, and Kawhi Leonard, I'm not sure there's a better defense in the NBA there's there's actually there's not a better defense in the NBA one through three those three are just absolute dogs defensively I think they need to figure out their big man situation in the modern NBA you you really don't need a big man but right now they there's a dearth of big men on that roster and I think they're going to need to figure that out 
And my other semi-concern is if you were to look around the league and look at some of the top top end superstars, the ones with the injury history that kind of come to mind are Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. So health for them is going to be a key component. And granted, the Clippers had a terrific season last year with very much the same roster as they have now, but they've added Kawhi and Paul George. But I just think we can't overlook or take their their health for granted because these are two guys who over the course of their careers have shown that they're prone to injury. Yeah, for sure. This is Kawhi still is bothered by that leg injury. And one of the things that he really praised and reportedly really liked about Toronto was their medical staff really worked with him to, to keep him healthy. So I'm sure that was a, a big concern for him and his free agency was the medical staff. And as you said, too, about Paul George had that freak leg injury playing for Team USA, but he's also had, you know, these shoulder injuries and and just he just keeps bang you know, he's a guy who's been banged up before and the NBA season is a long grind and these are two guys who maybe we'll see a lot of load management for them this year and and the years going forward. But just on paper when you stack, when you look at their roster, are they might be the favorite in the whole NBA to, to win the, the championship this season. That they might be. They're still vying for supremacy in their own town. I think that's still a debate, whether it's the Lakers or the Clippers. The Clippers right now probably have the upper hand, but I still would like to see what the Lakers do to kind of wrap out free agency. We can we can hit on them in a minute. But, I, I mean, let's let's get back to the other team in this deal, the Thunder. Sam Presti seems as though he's ready to just scorch earth and and rebuild. It seems like the next logical step in this progression is probably to deal Russell Westbrook. Would you agree? Potentially. The the point about the Thunder that I want to bring up before we dive into it about the guys on the roster currently is, so you mentioned at the top that this is basically a trade. The Clippers have given up all these picks and assets for Kawhi and Paul George. But all the assets are going to the Thunder. So all the picks, all the players, none of them are going back to Toronto. It's all going to the Thunder. So the Thunder are getting three unprotected firsts, two Miami picks, including the very coveted 2021 pick, and two pick swaps. It's almost as if the Clippers went to the Lakers and say, I see you and your draft capital, and I raise you. Like I could go all in, too. So for Sam Presti to basically get all this and understand the the desperation that the uh, that the Clippers had, it's it's incredible. It's it's exactly what we were talking about with David Griffin using capitalizing on the Lakers' desperation to get all those picks and assets. He was a really great job, and I don't know about Westbrook. They're just in a weird spot now. I think the question becomes because at this point, I think you have to deal him. You trade for Shea Gilgis Alexander who certainly wasn't at Luka's level or Trey Young's level last year. But if you were to tell me five, ten years from now, behind Luka, he's the second best player in that draft class, I wouldn't call you crazy. So I think I think you have to deal Russell Westbrook. And he has four years and close to $170 million left on his contract. The question becomes, is that viewed as a positive or negative contract? And for me personally, he's, he's over 30. He's a guy who relies significantly on athleticism. I think that is a negative contract. So therefore, there's the possibility that Sam Presti may have to attach assets to dump him. But 
as we now know, that will not be a problem for the Thunder given their surplus of assets they just hauled from the Clippers. And I think that's a great point that the Thunder didn't have Kawhi Leonard, but still they essentially traded from a position as if they did. I'm just trying to think of potential destinations for Russ. I mean, what what teams do you think make sense? Because just off the top of my head, I'm I'm looking around and I see like maybe Miami, Orlando, Minnesota, maybe the Knicks are desperate. Who do you think is a, a realistic landing spot to potentially trade for Russell Westbrook? First of all, put some respect on this dude's name. This dude is an MVP. <laughs> You're not dumping Russell Westbrook, okay? Put some respect on the man's name. Uh, in terms of who could go and get him, I, I really like the, the Minnesota fit. They really need a point guard. They're in the D'Angelo Russell sweepstakes. They have the the Andrew Wiggins contract that is also bad, and if, and if you're the Thunder, you could say, hey, let's take a flyer on Wiggins. He's still really young. It's a lot of money, but hey, you got to use the money to pay someone. And maybe Phoenix, they need a point guard. They always need a point guard. Uh, a lot of people are going to talk about Miami, but Miami still doesn't have any assets. So the the clip the the Thunder have all of Miami's assets if you think about it. Miami could do something around. Goran Dragic on an expiring contract and then BAM as the interesting asset and then all of a sudden you have a, a BAM SGA pairing and now all of a sudden Miami pairs Jimmy and Russ I think that's a very interesting fit fair but I also just I don't know how the salaries would work in Miami because they still have a lot of money tied up to guys so maybe they'll have to take back someone like Dion Waiters a reunion of Dion Waiters in, in OKC Kelly but I think that they'll play it out, probably wait till February, see where they are. Because if they still make the playoffs, because that's what Westbrook did two years ago when he was by himself, he made the playoffs. And albeit they lost in the first round, but they, they still made the playoffs. And for a really small market team, that, that's a really big deal. All right, let's, let's pivot to the teams that missed out on Kawhi Leonard. We can start with the Lakers. LeBron and AD put a ton of effort into pitching Kawhi and for a long while it seemed as though the Lakers were in the driver's seat if I'm the Lakers I'm not panicking because I think they still have arguably the best duo in the NBA but this is definitely a gut punch for for LeBron and company what do you think the Lakers I mean there's really not many guys left but where do you think the Lakers go from here first of all I would like to challenge your word of panic as they signed Clutch Sports client Contavious Caldwell Pope to a two-year, $16 million contract in the but felt like minutes after they learned they were out of Kawhi. If that's not panicking, I don't know what is. But they they're they're doing what what we said that they would that they should do is get some of those mid-level rotation guys. So they signed Danny Green. I think they brought back JaVale. They got, even though I just made fun of him, they got they brought back KCP. Where they go from here is that I think that they're getting guys who are on tradable contracts. So you could move a KCP, you could move a, you could move that contract in February for an asset down down the line that we don't know what it is yet. But that's the type of contract that you can that you could trade. They have Jared Dudley. I think they'll go after Kyle Korver. I think they'll try to get a lot of shooters. Don't really know who's going to play point guard for them, but. Maybe they're a Russell Westbrook place. I don't know what they have left to trade. You could trade like Staples Center. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they have the salary to trade for Russell Westbrook because logically I think that would be a decent fit. 
I'm thinking they're probably going to pursue Rajon Rondo. Oh, gosh. Which is probably not the most prudent decision, but there's not many guys left. People are starting to crown the Clippers as certified favorites in the West. And while I agree that they're certainly improved and a team that won 48 games last season without any superstars who then adds two all-NBA players, but I'm not ready to write off the Lakers. And I know the Jazz have made some pretty great off-season signings and additions, but where, where do you think things stand in the Western Conference in terms of favorites? We have, you know, the Nuggets, the Blazers, the Rockets, the Warriors, if Clay comes back. It's a loaded Western Conference. Who do you think should be considered the favorites heading into the 2019-2020 season? So before I answer that question, I want to just make sure for everyone who's going to be in our mentions on Twitter, yes, I know that the Lakers signed Quinn Cook. They still need a point guard, people, okay? But so going back to your question, I think that the Clippers are the favorites. You signed the best available free agent for this upcoming season because obviously Duran is hurt and Kawhi just won the title. And Kawhi teaming up with Paul George, where this is still Kawhi's team, there's no doubt about it. So when you mentioned earlier about stacking titles, Kawhi is doing this, but he's also doing it as the man. He said, I just want as the man. I'm not going to go join LeBron and be the the third wheel. So I think he's already proven he can win on his own. And I think the that means the Clippers are the favorite. I got the Lakers right after him. It's hard to bet against LeBron and the Anthony Davis combo, and they'll figure it out. I like Denver and then Utah. I think people are forgetting that Denver was a two-seed last year. They're really, really good. Yeah, and Michael Porter Jr. is coming back. Yeah, they got MPJ, who uh, just got hurt. He's going to be out of Summer League. But they he'll could only be a positive because if he doesn't play, great. They won 56 games without him last year. If he comes back, okay, he can only help them because if he doesn't help them, he just won't play. And I think even though they haven't signed anyone that big, everyone on their team was so young that if they all get a little bit better, that's like a free agent signing in its own. Yeah, and the the one team you didn't mention who made the Western Conference Finals last year, the Blazers, I, I think it was a fluke that they made it a season ago. Things kind of fell their way in terms of the bracket. But this offseason, they re-signed Rodney Hood, trade for Kent Bazemore, get Hassan Whiteside, who's certainly an enigma. But he'll be a good addition when Yusuf Nurkic is still recovering from his leg injury. I think the Western Conference is just absolutely loaded. I mean, heading into the season, there are probably seven teams in the West that realistically think that they can win a championship, like the Rockets, the Clippers, the Lakers, the Jazz, Blazers, Nuggets, even the Warriors if Clay returns. The NBA is going to be so interesting this year just because there's no super teams anymore, right? Uh... We can discuss if you think there's any super teams, but there's 11 duos right now that I think are very, very interesting. Kawhi and Paul George, LeBron and AD, KD and Kyrie, Curry and Clay, Harden and CP, Kristaps and Luka, Giannis and Middleton, Embiid and Simmons, Dame and CJ, Jokic and Murray, and Kemba and Tatum. You tell me if you think there's a super team out there. I think there's 10 to 12 teams heading into the season that if you told me they win an NBA championship, I wouldn't be shocked. I think that maybe our definition of super team is going to change in terms of how many all-stars you have on the team. Because if you think about it, the Warriors technically still have a super team because they have four all-stars, right? Steph Curry, D'Angelo Russell, Klay Thompson, and Draymond Green. But we don't think of it as a super team as much, right? And... Maybe 
it's just changing. I still personally think that the that, that the Clippers and Lakers are super super teams because you arguably have two of the five to seven best players in the league on the same team. So it's no longer the Warriors or the or the Heat where it feels like three of the top ten. It's only two of the top seven, which you know is still pretty good. I think it's a stretch to call some of the guys you, you, you did the best duos for the for the super team. Maybe in the future, like I think that Luca Porzingis duo could become a super team in the very near future, where we see where those guys take a leap. But just as you said, I think there's seven teams that could realistically compete for a, think they have a chance to compete for a title this year. Right now, when I sketch it out, I got Houston as the seventh seed, and they have the. MV, a lock for an MVP candidate in James Harden, and they're going to be the seventh seed, it feels like. You know, it's the West is crazy. I think behind the two LA teams, I think Houston's right there. Really? The way Houston plays in the regular season, I wouldn't be shocked if they finish towards the top of the Western Conference. But the Raptors, they win a championship. No one can take that away from them. If Masai Ujiri had to do anything over again, he wouldn't change a thing. But moving forward, What do the Raptors do? Because now all of a sudden, they're a team filled with expirings. You have Kyle Lowry, Marcus Gasol, who opted into his contract, Serge Ibaka, all on expiring contracts. You can look to deal them and potentially build around Pascal Siakam, or you can try and keep that crew back together. But ultimately, if you do, I think you're treading water. I think that they'll become what the Grizzlies were this past year, which is they have a foundational piece or two that they really want to build around. Obviously, Pascal Siakam is better than Jaron Jackson is. Uh, But they have the assets now at the trade deadline. They can help a contender. They can trade Marcus Saul to a contender. They can trade Kyle Lowry to a team that wants to contend. And they can get good assets back in return. Masai's wanted to rebuild since basically he got the job. And now he'll get to do what he wants to do and prove not only can he take a moderately contending team, probably a pretender, and turn them into a, a champion. Now let's see if he can build, take it down to the, to the scraps and build it back up to a, to a championship-level team again. It'll be really interesting to see what he does. He's one of the best GMs in all of basketball. And he's able to now do it with a championship in his back pocket. Yep. I agree with you that... That's probably their optimal strategy moving forward to start the season with these guys, see how it goes, and then pivot accordingly. Because as it stands right now, the Bucks, the 76ers, the Pacers, the Nets, I mean, all of these teams, I think uh, the, the proper range to kind of stick the Raptors right now, if they keep this, this team pat without Kawhi, is probably in that five to seven range. I think they're certainly still a playoff team. But I wouldn't put them, let's say, with home court in the first round of the playoffs. But building around Pascal Siakam, I think he showed that he has some great potential in the finals. And he had he put together some really good games. But also, he wasn't the focus of the Warriors. He was still kind of a wingman to Kawhi. So I'm interested to see how he's able to function and how he's able to operate and perform as the main guy. Because that is what he's going to be now. And he's a great piece to to move around too. He he's a guy where if you listed every team in the NBA, how many of them would would say, "No, nah, we don't want him. We'll pass." Maybe two. It'll probably be Phoenix and 
the Knicks because they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> but it'll be really interesting, as, as you said, because I, I think Toronto is better than Brooklyn right now. I just got a lot of concerns about what Kyrie could do to that team because, A, he's always hurt, and, B, he's just a weird guy and I think a really difficult teammate. So we saw what happened in Boston where I could see it being really difficult in Brooklyn, at least that first year before Durant comes back. So maybe they are a little bit better than them and they get that that four seed. And we have to see if Olid, how Oladipo is playing after that really tough knee injury. But I think that, as you said, the, the East right now, you should start booking your, your plane tickets and hotels for Bucks, Sixters, Eastern Conference Finals. I'm looking at you, Leo. <laughs> Leo can wrap it up quickly with who you think on July 6th, now that a lot of the dominoes have fallen, if you had to predict right now, and we won't hold you to it, we can we can reset once the season gets closer, but as it stands right now, who's your finals matchup for next season? I got Bucks, and I got the Clips. They've got Giannis against, Tur- Giannis against Kawhi again, and... We'll see what happens. I can't wait. I'm going to hop on that board with you and take the Clippers, but then I think I'm going to go to the 76ers. Wow. Al Horford is somewhat of a Giannis stopper. Not great, but he slows him down a little bit. But the crazy part is now is this is kind of the end of the NBA season because the, the best frames are, are off the board, and we'll get leaks here and there about Space Jam 2 and maybe a couple trade rumors, who's unhappy and stuff, but... I think Woj could finally go to bed. I think Woj can go on vacation for a couple of weeks, lay low, stay off the grid. I mean, I was constantly checking my phone just to see if Kawhi Leonard signed. I felt like, you know, he's had the whole sports population held hostage for the past three or four days. And then he decides to choose his destination at 2 a.m. Eastern on a Friday night in the most Kawhi Leonard way possible. Yeah. I mean, the, the most Kawhi way, is, as, as we talked about, is no one knew, there was no news, and it was the first day of training camp, and Kawhi just showed up to a team and was standing on the side like, hey, you guys need one more? And that would be like the most Kawhi way ever, just like showing up to a team and be like, all right, I guess I'll play with you guys. But you got to love the NBA. This just news breaks in the middle of the night. It's Here's a question for you. Would, would you rather the news break at Friday at like 2.30 a.m. Eastern time or right in the middle of your 4th of July barbecue like it did for Kevin Durant back in 2016? If he was considerate, he probably would have done it before July 4th. Yeah. He waited until July 6th, I guess it technically was. But this was a this is a very big decision. And granted, tampering is a thing. And he's had weeks, I mean, I guess two weeks since he played in the finals to decide. But... I don't think him taking a couple days is, is out of the ordinary. So, And also, people forget that when LeBron re-signed in Cleveland, he did it, as I just looked it up, on July 11th. So he took 10 whole days to decide where he was going to go. We were freaking out because Kawhi took four days to make the biggest one of the biggest life decisions he's ever had to make. It's ridiculous. That'll do it for this episode of The Double Double. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you wouldn't mind, please subscribe rate and review on itunes five stars would be much appreciated if you have any feedback for the show good bad or indifferent you can reach us on twitter our handle is dbl underscore dbl podcast or you can shoot us an email double double 402 at gmail.com 
Thanks again for listening. Take care and make it a great day.